think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 29 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 30th episode. Uh, I'm Laurent Carbonell. I'm Etienne Rainville. And uh, we've had a... It's been actually, I mean, let's, let's be honest, it's been an absolute blast on Parliament Hill this week. Uh, just a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of things going on. It has been very busy. Yeah, we've, we're back in fine form, uh, and we're going to start off talking about the story that is at the top of everyone's minds in Ottawa, and probably nowhere else, uh, but Bill Morneau, and we, we sort of touched on him at the la- end of our last episode, so you can consider this sort of continu- continuation, though obviously he has not lost his job. Uh, that turned out to not happen. Well, the prediction was never that it would happen in the short term. No. The prediction um, is that it'll happen in the long term, likely following the next budget. I think that is not unlikely. So right it's, now, uh, of course, this is like pre-budget submission time. Like they're doing yeah, the hard work of getting all that. You, you if you pitch, if you're getting rid of a finance minister, you do it post-budget. You yeah. don't do it pre-budget, middle of the year. Yeah. Um. Eventually, or it, it seems likely that at some point the liberals will also prorogue, maybe do another shuffle, and that would be when they would uh, remove him. I, I would also just make mention in the last episode I predicted uh, Francois Philippe Champagne. I just had two other contenders to that list. I, I think uh, someone of equal prominence and likelihood is perhaps the current uh, natural resources minister, Jim, Jim Carr. Carr. And then perhaps as like my third runner-up, I would put uh, Ralph Goodale, former... All white guys. Former finance minister himself. Yeah, that is true. All white dudes, though. I mean... It's just, it's interesting. It's... I, I mean, Francois-Philippe Champagne would, like, be exactly the same guy, and that it's, like, bus- business white guy. Version française. Version française, that is true. Uh, at any rate, so we'll, we'll dial back a bit our speculation to... Uh, and to talk about sort of analysis of what's been happening uh, last week or two. Uh, as we talked about, the, he's, there's been some some stuff with the conflict of interest commissioner and uh, Bill Morneau's shares in Morneau Chappelle, the uh, human resources and pension management firm founded by his father, uh, w- of which he was executive chairman and held uh, several million shares in. I think it, you know, 2.5 million when he was elected. It came out that he had 1.1 million, I believe. Um, yeah, he'd recently. sold off a little over half somewhere along the way. So people sort of criticized him in the House, uh, the Conservatives and NDP both, for continuing to hold these shares um, because they argue that it should have been in a blind trust or divested. Yeah, so a lot's been written about this, about all of this. Yeah. Uh, the, the quick primer here is that a blind trust, the idea is that you take your assets and you put them under third-party management. Yeah. And if you own 2 million shares in Morneau Chappelle, Putting them in a blind trust is not going to change the fact that you know you own two million yeah, shares. It, it's fine if you have a sort of like very diversified portfolio of investments, like sort of like you know most well-off people saving rather than sort of like millionaire large stakeholders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I mean, it's the same deal with uh, Paul Martin Canada Steamship Lines. Yeah. Also his family company. Yeah. So uh, I, I mean, in that case, he quote unquote divested his, his ownership. To his son, yeah, it still wasn't under direct control, therefore it passed yes. muster. Yeah, so in Morneau's case, he did not have direct control of these shares. They were owned by a numbered company, which is basically just like a corporation that exists on paper but doesn't really do anything, uh, but own things. It's a legal person that owns things. Uh, one registered in Alberta and another registered in Ontario, whose owners were Bill Morneau and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Actually, to clarify, uh, the Morneau Chappelle shares were owned by the Alberta Corporation, which was owned by Bill Morneau, his wife, and an Ontario Corporation, <laughs> which was owned by Bill Morneau and his wife. So you can sort of see that there's a bit of a problem here. Um, and it is actually legal, and this is what they were sort of hiding behind, was to say that they had cleared this with the Conflict of Interest Commissioner. What they neglected to mention was that every five years, the Conflict of Interest Commissioner issues a report on you know recommendations to change the act because you know as as things change in the real world and how people sort of like hold assets and that kind of stuff it's continuously updated to sort of go with the times in that last update which was 2013 the conflict of interest commissioner who's still the same person mary dawson who we've talked about before on the show uh recommended that this sort of loophole that you can indirectly control shares or assets through a a holding company be closed like she recommended that this not be allowed anymore so while he has followed the letter of the law uh he has contravened i think an obvious loophole that the conflict interest commissioner herself said should be closed and in doing so i think you could say violated what the cabinet manual says open and accountable government which you can read online it's sort of a document we should talk about cabinet manuals sometime but it's a document that every government puts out sort of saying the rules and expectations for ministers parliamentary secretaries staff etc uh which says that you know in open and accountable government which is published after their election victory 2015 they said mere adherence to the letter of the law is not enough you must be seen to be above reproach etc uh, etc et yeah so i think they're like they've really gotten caught with their pants down on this uh like he has you know while uh, to be clear he's not broken any laws or broken any rules per se he has certainly contravened their spirit and certainly gone against the expectations that the liberals set for themselves yes i i mean i agree to all of that um i think it's interesting to note what sort of the general reaction in media and house has been yeah in the house nearly every single question uh in the past week there there have been exceptions yes but from both the ndp and the conservatives have been yes targeted at uh morneau chappelle at uh minister morneau uh justin trudeau today took his best attempt at defending from yes. those questions always the the talking point is effectively he did what uh the conflict of interest commissioner or the conflict of ethics commissioner as, as, it, yes. as trudeau is so, so commonly calls it um he did he did what she said and therefore there cannot be a conflict of interest she is the law yeah which is like not the case uh certainly officers of parliament are not you know all-seeing omnipotent gods there has been nearly unanimous criticism in the media yeah uh of minister morneau's actions here everyone like almost everyone you can name yeah. every major columnist has condemned this yes. from paul wells to chantelle bear to john iveson to andrew Coyne, etc 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 perhaps the only person who's actively been defending um there there have been a couple of the toronto star who've made sort of half-hearted attempts to defend morneau's actions here (laughs) particularly sort of the underlying principle of his tax reforms that he'd pitched earlier yes but the (laughs) ironically perhaps the largest defender of morneau in all of this has been terence corcoran interesting well, I guess it kind of makes sense because he believes that rich people should be subject to another set of laws that don't apply to normal people. That is true. I, I was wondering what your take on this was going to be, yeah. but Terence Corcoran, uh, for context here, is a, I guess, columnist. I don't know if he has a different title, but a columnist in the Financial Post 
who's very climate denial very right wing uh (laughs) very right wing and it's and generally anti-government and not a friend of any government so it's been very interesting to see him come out in defense of morno in the past few days can we talk about why exactly this is a conflict i mean like it's it's enough for when you say a finance minister owns a lot of shares like that in and itself is problematic but like if you take into account the specific context here so Morno Chappelle's business is providing HR consulting and pension management. Um, part a big thing that they promoted and were inter- in uh, very very implicated in designing was a plan in New Brunswick for government employees called a Target Benefit Plan, which is basically a redefinition of their defined benefits plan. I'm not going to run you through a primer on you know pensions, but defined benefit basically just means you get what it says on the tin. Target benefit, which is what they had wanted to do and they called it shared risk which i find you know very nice and orwellian is that they'd like to give you this much but if you don't get that tough um though basically the shared risk here is that if the pension fund doesn't have enough money it comes out of your pocket instead of the company's uh it's very shared in that way um, but at any rate, Morneau Chappelle, the you know the firm, basically has th- their public position is that more, you know, organizations, companies, etc., should transition to these. As finance minister, Bill Morneau implemented or introduced a bill, C twenty seven, which allows for retroactive redefinition of pension plans to be target benefit or shared risk or whatever you want to call them, which would have an obvious pecuniary upside two large pension and HR consulting firms like, for instance, Morneau Chappelle. So this was really the nub of it. And especially when it came out at the same time that Morneau Chappelle had been granted administration of the Sears pension fund in the middle of that company's liquidation in Canada. It was just sort of like every bad story that could possibly have kind of come together at the same time did. Uh, Agreed. And, yeah, so that that's really the problem was just- that like he stood to gain massively from these decisions that would actually be bad for a lot of workers too. So let me let me play devil's advocate here and, and challenge you on several of these points. Let me put on my, my liberal hat branded with a Justin Trudeau signature. Which quote does it have? <laughs> is it a, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian or diversity is our strength? <laughs> diversity is our strength. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so with my liberal hat on here, I say, listen, uh, Morno put up a, or the, in working with the Conflict of Interest Commissioner, or if I were liberal, I'd say conflict of ethics commissioner. Nice. He put up a ethics screen, uh, which prevented him, or the intention of this was to prevent him from touching any file that directly implicated Morneau Chappelle. Yes. A bill as general as C twenty seven did not. It was not that. General. Did not directly Im- directly. No, that, okay, that's true. Implicate Morneau Chappelle. So let let me provide a, a counterpoint here. So in watching question period today. Um, I believe it was Nathan Cullen made the argument in one of his questions. You wouldn't expect a health minister to own a health company, like yeah. a pharmaceutical sure. company. You wouldn't accept, or you wouldn't expect X minister to own infrastructure X, minister to own a construction. Firm, sure, right? a- any of these. Yeah. There's one sort of interesting exception to this that's sort of long-standing in Canadian politics, um, which is the agriculture minister. That is true. He uh, does own a farm. Agriculture. I don't really see how this is like a rebuttal. I just think it's an interesting other thing that we probably shouldn't do anymore. You don't think... So So here's always the balance in government. The balance in government is blending someone with X or managing 
yes. to put people with expertise in the subject yeah. in an area in which they don't but conflict like my of man, interest. They made Jimmy Carter sell his peanut farm. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. I just don't think it's like. So you're a proponent of agriculture ministers not having farms, like having like it just doesn't really well, make like if sense. It's like a working. I mean, it, it's an asset that's very hard to invest yourself of because often it is like where you live. Also, yes, and like I think there you can sort of like work around that at the same time maybe stop appointing farmers as agriculture ministers it's the same way that you know katie o'malley said the similar thing about finance ministers is like maybe just stop appointing bay street rich guys as finance minister and you won't have these problems so one of the pro one of sort of my defense there would be to say there's a couple portfolios in government um that require very specialized like a lot yeah a lot you get on the job training but a lot i agree a, a lot of them yeah no, I, I agree that finance is demanding. At the same time, you can finance get expert, and, yeah, you can get expertise in other ways, though. Like you can get economists, you can get other people. Yeah, but you only have you, you don't get to pick. This isn't the American cabinet here. No, I, you get you have to pick from within your elected caucus. Yes, you that have true. Uh, between one and two hundred people yes. to choose from. But on the other hand, you can also woo people to run that you would like to be potential cabinet ministers, and this is in fact what they did with Bill Morneau. Yes, right. So like. They could have picked someone else that maybe they would have thought would be a good finance minister so who th didn't have massive conflicts of interest. This becomes like, like a 3D chess situation Politics for, is for parties where you're saying, okay, we're, we're going to have to you know, convince X people with X requirements to run. Are we going to parachute them in? No. So they also have to live in X ridings. They have to win in those ridings. So you're going to, what, pick five, three to five candidates to be your finance minister and, you know, have one economist in Vancouver, one in Montreal. It like, Sounds like not a bad idea. This just becomes way too complex. No party does it because no. of how complex it is and how many moving pieces there are. Um, I mean, like, I don't think that's strictly true. I think you do get a lot of people with, with like, high caliber in various portfolio areas that you would want to have in government. And you Yeah, Andrew Leslie has ranks. become the Minister of Defense, hasn't he? Yeah, but um, that's exactly my point, right? Like, if Harjit Sajjan hadn't won or, like, you know, which was a live possibility, uh, that was an NDP seat before the, the election, um, then Andrew Leslie likely would have become defense minister. This is, you want to have some redundancy built into your electoral system. We've gotten very far from the sort of common uh, <laughs> interest thing. But the, the point, anyway, like, well, I don't really see how this rebuts it. Like, so, it, so you, the rebuttal you have lots is, of talented people in the Liberal caucus. Like, the, the, and finance is complicated, but I'm sure they have other people who can understand finance in there. So the rebuttal here would be that I think most people would accept that a agriculture minister owning corn is not that big of a deal. That that if he has fields of corn from which he profits on, no. even if he makes, you know, decisions related yeah. to the agricultural industry, that well, it's not like, that he, direct of a conflict of interest. If he basically, like, set up a supply management board for corn that said, like, okay, corn in this corner of Nova Scotia where this guy has this farm is now worth eight times as much as corn anywhere else, like, that would be a problem, right? And in a sense, that's kind of what Morneau did with C-27, is that he set up his business to make a lot of money. Yeah. I don't think I honestly don't think this was like a thing where he was like, haha, like snidely whiplash, like tugging on his mustache and being like, I'm gonna make so much money off of this. I think he's sincerely a guy who just like really believes in his snake oil. But like uh <laughs> So I think the legislation would have happened either way. I think um I, I don't think it was a more no I think it was incidental that he benefited. Um but of course of course the conflict of interest is there and it shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, so taking off my liberal hat now, what, what I think you have at the end of the day is you have laws that are a little, that are, are draw bright lines, 
between what is direct and what is indirect, and that makes them very simple. Yeah. And obviously, being simple can be good, but it can also be bad. Indeed. And it allows itself, it allows for these edge cases where you can own a large swath of a corporation and have a fairly indirect conflict of interest yeah. that I think doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah. So to, to a certain extent, under existing legislation, I think what would have been better would have been for the liberals to follow their own guidance. Yeah, I, well, I th that's the I thing. Think it's like this the whole is, point of this is the solution, yeah. is the guidance, it, had they followed their own guidance, none of this would have that's happened. That's the whole point of the guidance, is to avoid the, you know, this is the seizure's wife must be a beyond reproach thing, or above reproach. Like, it's just don't fuck up and you won't have problems. Like, don't put yourself in situations where you're going to have problems if everyone finds out. Yes. Um, yeah, so, anyway. That, wait, to sum it oh, all yeah, up, okay. two, two last things. To sum it all up, is this a thing? It is a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. I think it most definitely is a thing. I think you're not paying attention if you don't think it's a thing. I would agree with the chance analysis on that. Um, Do you want to talk about the economic update? No, I want to talk about Bill Morneau's nickname. Uh, yeah, go ahead. This is all you. This is all me. Uh, <laughs> so, J.J. McCullough. Uh, Friend of the show. Esteemed, esteemed Canadian journalist. Um, or columnist, whatever you want to call him. Uh, posted on Twitter today a picture that hasn't got nearly enough love in my, in my estimation. I agree. There's a picture of... I'm gonna guess. What do you think? Is that teenage or college? Well, it's, it's gonna be teenage. teenage. He's grad eighty, man. Like, cause that would have been if he's around the same age as our parents, like in their their like mid fifties. That would be his high school graduation. Okay, so yeah. that's roughly what I suspected. Yeah. Uh, so it's Bill Morneau's high school yearbook photo and sort of the infamous caption of it. And yes. It's just. Well, too for, let's perfect. start with the nickname. I want to start with the hair. Why is his hair so blonde? Well, I no hope... one can see the hair. <laughs> I, I hope that's just something Go with the flash. Go check it out, folks. It's on our Twitter. Find it. It's great. Um. So what's his nickname? His nickname is Willie Porno, <laughs> which is an unbelievable name. I sort as we were talking before the show, like I sort of get where it comes from, right? It's, it's people, you know, it's Bill Morneau. It's a play on his name, Willie Porno. Like I, I get it. It's At very the same good. time, like God, that is a terrible nickname. Um, he so it has. ACT, really, which are, I guess, you know his activities. I hope someone calls him that in the house, and I would love to see what the speaker would do. His activities. Yeah, I know. <laughs> can, names and nicknames are not allowed. You have to address the speaker. Um, his activities are so Bill Morneau-y activities. Well, because this rich kid, right? Like it's really Tennis, bad, badminton. Uh, I say that, but I play badminton. Yes. Uh, swim team and skiing. Of course. Uh, his tagline, I guess, was, What's your problem? No, it's, What's your... Problem. Yeah, it's which is like what? Um, um, his pet peeves are uh, interesting, as they include among others hat stealing and jism, uh, which I'm not too sure what that refers to. His ambition, which hey, good for him, chairman of a multinational corporation. <laughs> so he, uh, I mean, to be fair to once again, like yes, th that's a good accomplishment on his part. But for Bill Morneau, that involved uh, mostly waiting. Uh, seeing as he basically just took over the family business. <laughs> Anything to add? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's hard to dispute that, but... Uh, it is hard to dispute that, because it's true. <laughs> I don't think many people put such a specific post on their uh, high school yearbook page. I mean, jism. Like, what's the deal with that? If someone can find out what that referred to, or if this is just like an 80s... Just maybe a different connotation, then. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, jism. It's very fun to say. Um... <laughs> 
Okay, I, are we good on Morneau's High School Yearbook? Yeah. Okay. It is excellent. You really should check it out. Uh, the economic update was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, evening. Um, so, yeah, it was Tuesday. Uh, um, so there's, I mean, there's tons of financial information. It's out there if you want to know it. I'm, I'm not going to be your source for that. Suffice it to say, the economy is pretty toasty. Everything is looking pretty good. Uh, with one exception being spending, of course is sort of the the challenge that you're seeing from conservatives is effectively saying come on guys everything is going aces just balance the budget just balance it just just balance it just provide a path to balance just any of these things i mean for me it's now like, now is your time to bring it to your 10 billion dollar deficit yeah i mean for me it's debt to gdp is fine i don't really care about the deficit um as, as long as debt remains manageable which it is on a path to remain man- remain manageable like it's fine Deficits don't really matter that much. You can't do them forever, but you can do them for quite a long time, and you always have a central bank if you need it. So it's kind of whatever. But yeah, I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one personally. But yes, yeah. Um, moving on from that, the the other remark I'll make about it is one: the announcements were sort of underwhelming. Um, it did contain, I think, the most liberal phrase I have ever heard, which was which was. Um, the head of the IMF said she hopes Canada's growth goes viral, which is the most, like, fucking liberal thing I've ever heard, just on several levels. Um, but, yeah. Continue, please. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, so the announcements were underwhelming. The big one, I guess, was the indexation of the child care benefit or Canadian child benefit. Canada whatever the, child benefit. Whatever the hell it's called now. Yeah. Uh, to inflation, which was scheduled to happen in two years anyways, Woo. and equates to be about $80 per household, Woo. or per, kid, per child per household, yeah. or whatever it works out to be, uh, a year, which is basically, like, what, $7 a month, $8 a month? That's your Netflix subscription Pro- right there, less. my friend. That's Six, your $6 a month, right six fifty a month? It's going to make up for their Netflix tax. Um, which, in liberal... Phraseology, I suppose, would be one bag of popcorn and peanuts, or whatever. Whatever that. These days, uh, it doesn't even get you that at the movie theater, <laughs> yeah. admittedly. So, suffice it to say, pretty underwhelming. Everything had been telegraphed. Um, whoop whoop de do. Yeah. Uh, well, I, it was already like sort of a do nothing budget, and then we had sort of the update that's like, hey, by the way, still doing nothing, folks. Yeah, lastly, I would say that all of the... There was a good piece, I think it was by Clark Campbell in the Globe Mail, uh, which was perhaps the best commentary I read on it, which said, sort of linked this sharply to sort of Morneau's political struggles as of lately, uh, to say that all of their announcements in the budget or in the fiscal update, all their main ones, could have waited until the budget. They all largely take effect post-budget. Yeah. Um, post budget the, 2018. This so, is changing the channel. So though, they were right? scrounging for what would yeah. be like footnotes in the main budget yeah. next year, yeah. in order to announce something this fall. Yeah, which, to, yeah, bleh. yeah. To steal from uh, Stephen Carter and the strategists, uh, RIP. It's, it's not theirs. It's, it's just it's, common. Well, you know, they said it a lot. Uh, changing the channel is uh, what they're trying was, to do. In the headline of at, this point. at least one article yeah. uh, in the past day. And I think in the body of like a dozen of them. Yeah. No, that that's like, yeah. It, they they want to be talking about something else right now. Yeah. Uh, and fair enough. I mean, they've had a very... Willie, Willie Porno has had a very bad <laughs> few weeks. Um, so... 
It's just so perfect that that nickname came out in the midst of all of I, this. I mean, like I said, like he really has had a bad couple of weeks. He had the French Villa thing, too. Did we talk about that last time? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah we did. Good. Uh, also, Ridley Scott also has a, um, a villa in the town where uh, where Bill Morneau has his. Where his Airbnb is located? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Very good. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up Billy. Yeah, we're, we're good for with Willie Porno. He can go off and do his own thing. All right. You want to talk about the Board of Internal Economy? Sure. Just just to mention it quickly. The secretive Board of Internal the Economy. The secretive. The ultra-secretive the secretive yeah. Board of Internal Economy. Uh, so the Board of Internal Economy, contrary to the name, is not really a board. It's more of a committee of parliament. It is indeed. Um, well, it's a committee of the House of Commons, to be more precise. Yes. Apologies. Yeah, so, okay, can I just say something that's always irritated me? Sure. Is that we call, you know, they're, they're called MPs. Yes. Right, but, like, senators are also technically MPs in that they're members of parliament. Like, they're parliamentarians. I don't care. But, like, they should call them members of the House of Commons. I just don't, anyway, I don't, I don't care about this distinction. It just, it just bugs me. All right. Uh, so the Board of Internal Economy came to perhaps the public consciousness um, two and a half-ish years ago when the NDP were under fire by the Conservatives and Liberals for using quote-unquote satellite offices and sort of uh, partisan campaign literature to advertise and to communicate, uh, allegedly, in ridings that they didn't have people in and so a bunch of MPs pooled their money to sort of finance these activities and the Board of Internal Economy sort of examined it and then slapped the NDP with a million yeah. something so odd the, the dollar NDP, fine in the NDP always maintained that this was a kangaroo court because the liberals and conservatives between them had a majority on them and had an incentive to just you know make this a partisan thing because why not right it hurts for, from both perspectives it was good for them because from the view of the conservatives at the time this official opposition and you're not only bleeding them of money you're making them look bad publicly and for the liberals exact same thing um, so the NDP's always maintained that uh, it's a kangaroo court and that you know it was 100% partisan I was not there I do not know the facts of the matter at all so unfortunately you will hear no juicy details from me um, so said, there was a development about that case recently yes in that the federal court has decided yes. that it does have jurisdiction to review the decision so yeah which wasn't which wide, is, widely covered i think yeah, i made a facebook post about but it But it's interesting in the sense that now it's like the board of internal economy is like quasi-judicial in the sense that it's its decisions are reviewable by higher courts <laughs> which is well, we'll, we'll I guess we will see what the implications of that end up being, but uh, it's certainly interesting. Yeah, the judiciary branch has now decided it has jurisdiction over the legislature. Yes. Um, the, the, yeah, we'll see. The balance means. there is sort of interesting, particularly with like parliamentary privilege and yes. the supremacy of parliament, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But so the NDP took it to court, and I guess it's going ahead. We'll, uh, see. we'll see. But yeah. where where I actually wanted to talk about here is so the NDP complained about the Board of Internal Economy. The Liberals in the campaign and their transparency uh, said that they would open up the secretive Board of Internal you Economy. Always, and I've actually mentioned this on the podcast before, but whenever you see it mentioned in media, it is always the secretive Board of Internal the secretive. Economy. Secretive. It's like the wine dark sea in various Homeric epic poems. The uh, So the Board has too much uh, praise and... Uh, much praise has been opened up to public viewing. And you know how many articles I saw about this? Three? Four? 
On the actual content of the first meeting, oh. not a single one. Oh, yeah, one. I was going to say, about the opening, there were quite a few, but uh, yeah, a couple. Well, um, but on in terms of the actual content, like committee standards. it was zero, and it will continue to be zero because for no one the actually cares. Yeah. several decades. Most of your stuff is really boring. Um, so I was one of likely the few people who watched uh, a good portion of the Board of Internal Economies meeting, and it consisted of presentations by parliamentary, uh, sort of the House of Commons staff, uh, effectively talking about like the renovations and like different, Oof. like the greenhouse gas emissions of the new. Uh, facilities over on West, the newly renovated West Block. Right. They they played a little video where they walked you through the new Ooh. West Block. Little videos panning around. It's all very dry, and I think this is what a lot of people said. Uh, a lot of people inside said would be the result of opening up the Board of Internal Economy. It's a management board. Yeah, I it, mean, like, it's but why was it secret? I guess it's because it's like Parliament being master of its own affairs and like free and frank kind of. Yeah, historically, historically, it always has been. So it's only when it sort of delved into this, you know. Um, Fining or citations against another party that the, or calls to make it open really came about. Yeah, and like to be honest, like regardless of the merits of the case, which once again, like I was not there, I do not know, like you know who is in the right or the wrong here. Certainly, from the interests of observing in public, when you have three parties and two of them go behind closed doors and find the other one guilty. No, the NDP were there. No, I I know, but like in the sense that it was like when it's a vote. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you know. The, the weight of one side result, you know, in an in, in, in interested procedure, I think it's probably fair to say, you you wonder, right? And I think, like, there, I mean, there's probably an appetite. And once again, I do not know what happened. I do not know the so you can cast, facts of the case. So you can cast dispersions on it, but I mean, this is the, this is the way parliament and parliaments yes, all across but, the world yeah, have governed no, themselves I, I completely for... understand that. I completely get that. At the same time, like, it does look bad. Right? And, like, I think there's no harm in having this open. So we'll see what happens. Certainly, like, if you now fuck up with this kind of thing or you do something wrong, everyone's going to hear about your dirty laundry in great detail. Yes. Um, so, you know. I guess higher risk, higher... Uh, it's just higher know. risk. Yeah. Really. Like, <laughs> I mean, openness really goes one direction. It just makes more <laughs> scrutiny, more, like, you know, it's, it's, it's on the record, just, it's on the record. It's just higher risk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the I, I would close by saying the only uh, other notable thing of watching it was you got to see all the clerks in their goofy outfits. They do, yeah, they have very goofy outfits. Um, and they wear them at the Board of Internal Economy, unlike other meetings. I feel bad watching them like on Spark Street and stuff when they got the little like tails on the collar. You know, I'm just like, man, that seems humiliating. Like, I, ugh, seems rough. Anyway, history, uh, history, my friend. Yeah, history's good. Respect um, our history. You had something you wanted to say about uh, the province of Alberta. Okay, yeah, just just to flag this, um, we, we haven't talked a lot about provincial politics, uh, with the exception, perhaps, of... Saskatchewan. Uh, barely. Uh, I was going to say British Columbia oh, also, and sort of their, also, their antics over the summer. Um, but just to flag that the uh, United Conservative Party election is this weekend, and in my estimation, Jason Kenney, the... Immovable object, the unstoppable force of Canadian it's conservative politics. He's more of an immovable object. <laughs> is is going to, in very my estimation, doing. just absolutely crush it. I that seems very plausible. Um, so I believe there's three other candidates against him. My former MP Brian Jean, uh, who I will always remember for. Uh, sending a householder with a crossword puzzle of fun facts about Brian Jean on it. That is fun. Four crossed. My hair is red. 
That's not. That's three. Three no. across. Four across. That's oh, how, that's okay. how crossword uh, clues are Because most people, given. when they're communicating crossword clues, like say how many letters. Anyway, carry on. No, but you, re- you read the No, I, I get what you're saying now. Oh. Yes, okay. You ruined Car- my, my crossword on. joke. Um, and then I believe there is sort of the, cen- uh, the centrist candidate, Doug Schweitzer. I'm probably mispronouncing that name. I'm going to put some arbitrary numbers on it and say Jason Kenney, 65%. Um, Brian Jean, 30 and Doug five and I think that'll be a pretty resounding defeat for the lingering elements of the progressive side of the progressive conservative party that have hung around this long that seems very plausible to me yes so let's leave it there let's get through a couple different little provincial things well yeah so the other thing was New Brunswick um, a province that does not crop up much in our collective imaginations but two interesting things uh, last week there was a lot of hubbub uh, because the premier had announced that he was going to go meet with the lieutenant governor on Monday and that they had accomplished their mandate and that, you know, they were ready to, you know, it basically speculated, like, there's going to be an election call, like, right now. And then Monday rolled around and uh, turned out that it was a social call or something and that they were just going to launch a new session of the legislature and that there wasn't an election. And then when journalists asked about, hey... So we thought there was going to be an election call and you wouldn't answer questions to that effect over the weekend. What the fuck is the deal? Brian Gallant, the premier, said, uh, you're going to have to ask the person who wrote the statement, which is like the most cowardly fucking answer. Though actually, this is not the first time Brian Gallant has done this, thrown a staffer under the bus uh, to journalists for no apparent reason. Uh, In the 2014 election campaign, when he was elected, uh, there was an error in the liberal tax plan where they claimed that they would not have the highest tax brackets um, With after some raises they were planning on making. They had forgotten to factor in Quebec's federal abatement, uh, which meant that they would be above Quebec's rates. And uh, when that was pointed out to them, they said, oh, well, the staffer who wrote this was up late last night and he must have made a mistake. And it was just like... <laughs> Way to courageously own that, Brian. You, good. you did good there. Good, very good. Um, so yeah, not not the first time for him. There's also a great story, once again, conflict of interest, about Donald Arsenault, who has held, I believe, several ministerial posts in this liberal government. Uh, no longer a minister, still a liberal MLA, but is also accepting a job as the head of government relations for Canada's building trades union. So he will be an active lobbyist of the federal government while remaining... A provincial MLA which like I mean I don't know what New Brunswick's conflict of interest law is like but a lot of provinces they're incredibly weak <laughs> yeah they are but like you'd think that just the like naked venality of such a thing would dissuade most ethical people from doing it but Donald Arsenault apparently uh, not no, no such compunctions he's good like that yeah so that's my update from New Brunswick um yeah, I mean, if if we're on the note of New Brunswick, I would announce. Uh, <laughs> I would announce today. I would announce today my candidacy. <laughs> um, no, uh, today they announced um, that cannabis. Oh yes, right. Also known as marijuana. Uh, it is also known as that. Would be sold by the state, um, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone following it. They telegraphed this with a tender for some state-run cannabis stores. Yeah. But it's, as, as a small update on the cannabis file here, it's looking like all of the Atlantic is going to go age 19, yeah. public. 
Um, Quebec is really still struggling, but it looks like they're going to go public too because Quebec is actually the least friendly jurisdiction to marijuana in Canada. That's not surprising, yeah. Uh, followed closely by Manitoba. Uh, Brian Pallister is set to announce his plan with cannabis in the next two weeks or so, so watch for that. And then Alberta is currently... Uh, they've wrapped up public consultations, or mm, as of Friday, they will have wrapped up public consultations. Um, but Alberta has set it up, so they've made a half announcement where they said, you know, we're going to allow smoking outdoors, which is unlike Ontario. We're going to set the age at 18, which is Light unlike up Ontario. Those fat doinks. So they've done a couple of good things. But then, in sort of a bizarre way, they said, we all, uh, by the way, we haven't decided quite yet on whether or not we're going to do public or private sales. Um, that so seems like a major point of interest that should get settled. We're going to keep consulting and we'll let you know in winter or in January. Um, which is interesting because literally no one in Alberta ever, to my knowledge, with the exception of unions, has said we want public distribution. Yeah. Like, there is no one in Alberta who's sitting around being like, God, the liquor stores are open too much. There's too much selection. To There's be fair, too much choice. I think you probably have... And the have, kids are just running wild. I think you probably have, like, public health researchers who probably do think that. Uh, but yes, admittedly, the man on the street is not clamoring for less access. Balancing the voice of public health researchers in this conversation, I think, is always... Very hard for policymakers to do or for lawmakers to do because if you were to put doctors in a room and say, for public health reasons, should we forbid participation in marathons? The answer would be yes. Like, marathons are not good for your health. Like, they're an act of detriment. Yeah, they're grueling. Snowboarding is bad for your health. Yeah. Skateboarding is. So what we should do is leave everybody just in, like, pods. In pods with, you know, 30 minutes on the cross trainer twice a day. Like, so in any... Only white meat. In any situation, you have to balance the what is the perfect optimal situation and, like... Where do we trust our citizens and give them freedom? No, I, I, I don't disagree. I was just presenting. God the, forbid they should have freedom. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think that God forbid they should have freedom. I think <laughs> no one should be free. Uh, I think freedom is bad, actually. Uh, but yeah, that's my take on the subject. Uh, I dislike freedom. So all this is to say, the Alberta NDP have set it up for a tug of war between the unions and every other sane-minded individual in Alberta. To, That's a good way to, put it. <laughs> to mind, have mind. a public debate as to whether or not they should go public or private, and obviously the NDP want to do public. Um, they need the unions to really ramp up the public support for them. Yep. Um, but also at the same time, there is no public infrastructure for that in terms of sales and distribution. So that's going to be hard. It is going to. They have to set something up from scratch. It would be difficult. And yeah. it'll be sort of funny if this is one of the last things they do before they're removed from power. They did have and a Jason poll. Kenny there, is there left governing public cannabis stores. There was a poll out this week um, that did not look super encouraging. No, uh, it, it wouldn't. No. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some work that uh, has been relevant to stuff I've been doing recently uh, regarding Jordan's principle. 
Uh, so for those of you who are unaware, Jordan's principle is a principle that puts uh, the child first in the sort of delivery of services. So for instance, if you have a kid, uh, for First Nations children especially, or exclusively, um, that if you have a child uh, who is in a situation where there is a potential dispute over the jurisdiction and who's going to pay for medical treatment or any sort of like treatment, uh, it, it's usually used within the medical context, uh, that the whatever is the department or agency of first contact just pays for it and then they figure out who's they, they do the wrangling later and this was you know a a kid in 2005 in the norway house i believe it was norway house first nation i may be wrong on that someone can correct me later yell at me on twitter uh in 2005 who died in in a circumstance where manitoba and the federal government were sort of wrangling over who would have to pay for something in 2007 there was a motion passed in the house of commons uh basically saying the government should adopt a, a child first principle based on jordan's principle uh when settling jurisdictional conflicts um recently there are a couple articles about this uh because it was a large part of the 2000 january 2016 ruling by the canadian human rights tribunal in a case between uh, the First Nations Family and Children Caring Society, which uh, associated in most people's minds with Cindy Blackstock, and the government on the other side, uh, as well as the AFN and Amnesty International intervening, uh, that found basically that the government's application of George's principle was too narrow, that it was using uh, a definition that was not to the intent of the legislation, and that was uh, discriminating against uh, Indigenous children. Um, the government has accepted that ruling, the January 2016 ruling, but in subsequent um, compliance orders, which have come out from the tribunal, it is now appealing and is trying to get them quashed. Um, so this week, it came out from uh, ATIPS through Charlie Angus's office uh, and through the CBC that basically gave a lot of background on this over the last couple of years and uh, found especially that, for instance, there was very little knowledge in Health Canada about what their actual obligations were under Jordan's principle, like they were in charge of administering this and didn't know what it was. You have the spectacle of like very high up, like directors of branches being like, can someone tell me what this is? And like going into briefings with the deputy minister like the week after the decision came down in January, like starting with what is Jordan's principle? Which really speaks to just like, and this isn't, you know, casting blame specifically on this government, though I think you can in the sense that they are now appealing these decisions and trying to get out of their responsibility for it. Um, but it's like just how broken the machinery of government for delivering services to Indigenous people is, and especially Indigenous children, and it's really failing them in very visceral and awful ways that like, you know, kids are not getting medical treatment to which they are legally entitled as you know canadian citizens and the reason is that the government just doesn't really want to pony up and is like trying to get out of their obligation to do so uh, as dictated by the human rights tribunal which is you know a duly constituted legal judicial body that can do this um so that's been you know really bad and i just wanted to draw attention to it because it's just uh like, you know, we should be talking about these things. I think it's really important. Uh, today, Charlie Angus asked a question in the House about, um, you know, a situation. This came up through those A-tips, and he tweeted about it, and you can look on his Twitter uh, to see the document, that you have situations where First Nations families are basically facing the choice between, do I give up my chronically ill or acutely ill child 
to foster care so that they can access medical services through provincial systems because the federal government is not living up to its obligations to actually provide those services on reserve, which is like a kind of like Sophie's Choice level bullshit that like is 100% inexcusable for any Canadian family to have to face in 2017. Like that's just like inhuman. Um, so I just wanted to, to talk about that because I think it's really important and uh, it's a story that everyone should be furious about. Fair enough. I have next to nothing to add on that topic as it's not something I've ever looked at or is my area of expertise, but I've had uh, my share of rants on this program about uh, topics yeah. close to my heart. Yeah, and you know, it's just, it's a real Byzantine nightmare. Like the whole, pro- like it's, a, you know, I, yeah, it's, you know, it, it is a system that 100% lives up to its design, which is to keep indigenous people in colonial hellholes. Um, so that's that's what I have to say about that. Um, so hopefully we can completely destroy it. Hopefully soon uh, would be my preference. Well, it's being <laughs> it's being reformed over uh, through the liberal government here, and we'll see in uh, a few years how those reforms turn out. Ooh, we can talk about that in another episode because I have a lot to say about that too. In uh, episode 273, <laughs> the yeah. 273rd episode... God King Trudeau continues to reign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll be the day. Diversity anyway. is our strength. <laughs> That's how people are going to greet each other on the street. <laughs> hey, diversity is our strength! <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. Absolutely. Uh, carry on, everyone. Uh, diversity is our strength. And uh, yeah, may the force be with you and all that. You're here. Hey, everyone. Just kidding. We're uh, back because we forgot to do our weekly beer review. Uh, while recording the podcast, we had a uh, Vermont Honey Ale, Anna, from uh, Farmstead. What is that called? Yeah, I always mangle the name. It's Hill Farmstead Brewery. Located in Vermont. It was lovely. I, I really cannot find a bad word to say about it. Do um, you want to kind of describe the flavor profile? It's a honey ale. I feel like it had some like sour notes, uh, a little sweet. Uh, really, really, really good. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Tanner has any other notes on top of that. Uh, not in terms of notes. I, I just know I picked up on my last trip to Vermont. Vermont is perhaps the beer mecca of the world, or one of the beer meccas of North America at least. Uh, and the brew itself is like located in like very rural Vermont. When you, like, GPS your way there, you're afraid that your GPS has led you astray and you're never going to find your way out of the woods. Yeah, get killed by wild hill tribes of Bernie Sanders's. Um, But the the brewer itself makes some of the best beers in the world. And they're, like, very widely recognized. The brewer there is, like, top-notch. I can attest to the quality of this particular brew. Right now, we are actually having some ribs and uh, drinking something else. A uh, Vimy Red Ale. Is that made in Ottawa? Yes. It is made in Ottawa. It's a, a new brewery. Uh, Andrew Shear actually did an announcement for the small business tax credit at uh, Vimy Brewery a week or two ago. So it's a good oh. conservative beer. It's not that good. I haven't tried it yet. I, I, I say that in a nonpartisan way. I mean, it's fine. It's like not really that distinct. I, I wouldn't. If you put this in a records thread in front of me, I don't know if I'd be able to tell you the difference off the top. It's the best beer I've ever tasted. Tastes, okay. tastes like freedom. Okay. Uh, so that'll do it for us this week for real this time. Uh, and you've had your beer review. So uh, good night. Also follow us on Twitter. Bye.